0: Today is Friday, April twenty second, 2022. Earth Day. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. I'm Josh Rollerson. As an environmental organization, PEC is focused on largely practical matters, advocating for laws and policies to protect the environment, developing solutions to environmental problems, and informing and educating the public about those things. The conversations you hear on this podcast pretty much reflect those priorities, which generally focus on the what and the how. But we don't often stop to consider the why. What does that mean? Well, sure, we like to frame our objectives in practical terms, underscoring opportunities and risks for things like economic development, public health and safety, environmental justice and social cohesion, resource allocation, and the long-term stability of the systems we all rely on. These are definitely part of the why, They're very important considerations, but when you look at the underlying motivations of people who work in this field, underneath it all there's something that doesn't readily translate to the language of science or public policy. Something that isn't ultimately reducible to a cost-benefit analysis. Truth is, we do this kind of work because we love this planet and we love the living things that call it home. We believe people's lives are better and richer when they feel connected to nature and we want to live in a world where everybody feels that kind of connection. And though we don't talk about it as much, that's where the arts are really important in environmental work. Art is a way to compel awareness, to expand it, but also to focus it in on the little things, the things that sometimes matter most.
1: There's so much to take in at once that we often don't really notice what we're seeing. And so I think when people see artwork of a plant or animal and it's distilled down to just one thing, then people can have a few seconds to really just contemplate that one thing that they're looking at and they can really notice details that they might not have seen on their own.
0: This Earth Day on the podcast, we're taking a break from the studies, the conferences, projects, funding, bills and regulations, and all the what and how stuff we normally focus on. Instead, we're going to meditate on the why in conversation with somebody who makes a living by bringing nature to life on paper and canvas. Pennsylvania born Rosalie Hazlett has one foot in the visual arts and one in the natural sciences. As a nationally recognized nature illustrator, she's been commissioned by the Smithsonian and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And she's completed artist residencies with the National Audubon Society and the U.S. Park Service. Last year, her work was also featured on cans of craft beer, released by Pittsburgh's Dancing Gnome Brewery, featuring wildlife from western Pennsylvania watersheds. Peck's own resident watercolorist and communications coordinator, Lily Jones, recently got a chance to speak with Rosalie Hazlett about what motivates her as a painter and why she believes art can be a gateway to stewardship. Without further ado, here's their conversation.
2: So thanks so much for joining us on Pennsylvania Legacies. If you could start off by explaining your artistic style and um, your typical subject matter that you like to work with, that would be great.
1: Sure. So I'd say that my artistic style is based on reality, but with an extra twist of added vibrancy and kind of adding my own funky touch to to what I see around me in nature. So all of my work pretty much right now is focused on the natural world, plants and botanicals and wildlife and mushrooms and all sorts of fun stuff but i always try to add a little bit of my own creativity to what i see in the outdoors because i think i kind of tend to see my surroundings with an added it's like i'm wearing like rose colored sunglasses or something like i just see a lot of color naturally in my surroundings and so i try to add that into my work even if other people don't really see that
2: (laughs) that's so cool um Um, where are you based out of right now? I know like your work is very regional.
1: Yeah. So I was actually born in Pennsylvania. lived there until I was five. I was born in the North central Pennsylvania area. And then my family moved to our farm, my grandparents farm in West Virginia, which is about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh has always been like the big city for me and being an artsy little kid, there wasn't a ton around you know the Wheeling area in West Virginia, um, not a lot of galleries and stuff. So we would always go on trips. My dad and I would go on trips to Pittsburgh and check out different fun museums and stuff. And then I've lived in Pittsburgh off and on for an internship and college. And then most recently I lived there for just under two years um, and moved back to West Virginia this past summer.
2: So how did you start your career as a nature illustrator, Um, and were there any specific experiences or opportunities that sort of shaped your career, got you started?
1: So I've been creating since I was tiny, and it's always been my go-to activity. Uh, I think I was really encouraged in that by my parents, who are really creative, and Most of my work throughout my life has been observational. So when I was younger, I I did enjoy the outdoors, but I wasn't like super into nature. So a lot of my work was drawing my hamster (laughs) and like creating comic strips with my hamsters as the stars and um, painting and drawing people and making up fun names for them. So it was always based in reality, but like I said before, with my own like kind of added twist. And then I think... Throughout my life, I knew I wanted to do something with art, but I also wasn't sure like what my role was within that. Because you can do a lot with a creative career, and I thought about different possibilities, like being an illustrator for newspapers, like the New York Times, or working as a graphic designer for an agency. There's just there are a lot of options, um, and there are some people who I feel like they have a lot of kind of internal messages that they wanna communicate with the world and art is how they do it. And for me, I never really felt like I had a lot of messages. I felt like my gift was more in noticing things and observing things and showing people what I saw uh, kind of through my lens. And that kind of just naturally turned into nature illustration as I became more excited about hiking and doing things like rock climbing, and spending a lot of my time outside through high school and college, so the more time I spent outdoors, the more I was observing interesting things that I noticed, and the more I wanted to share that with my work,
2: and um, now it's pretty much all I do. (laughs) You mentioned that your technique is very observation-based. Do you normally work from photographs? Do you work in the field? How do you sort of gather your inspiration when you're like planning out a piece or working on a piece?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I typically go for a hike at least once a week. I try to get out even more than that, even if it's just to a local park. So I'm always going outside and looking for new things. And I always have either my nice camera or my phone camera with me and I'm snapping pictures all the time so that I have this massive photo bank of interesting things and so when a project comes my way or when I dream up a new project I often will start by going through the photos on my phone or computer and just seeing like what photos have I taken that relate to this because it's easiest to work from my own photos and I also feel the most connection to my work when it's something that I've actually seen and observed in person and so I pretty much always use my own reference photos, unless it's a project for a client and they provide me with the photos and it's like a really rare endangered species. But otherwise I try to always use my own reference photos and I just got a grant for a really cool camera that has a massive zoom lens. It's like the kind that birders use. So I feel like that's gonna really transform my work because now I'll be able to take photos of wildlife that otherwise would have flown away or run away as soon as they saw me in the area. I also do a lot of work on site. Um, So I do mostly just sketches on site. I don't really do the full watercolor, super intricate paintings because those honestly take me weeks to do. And I can't just like camp out (laughs) in the woods for weeks and weeks painting. Um, But I try to always have a sketchbook with me when I go to a new area to hike or even familiar places and I'll jot things
2: down as I notice them. Was the grant you received for the camera, is that related to your Academy of Natural Sciences Fellowship, or is that a different grant?
1: So it's for the same project. I got a grant through the West Virginia Department of Arts, Culture, and History, and that is going towards my upcoming book project, and also the Drexel University Fellowship is for the same book project. So my next big project, and I've been working on it for about maybe eight months now, is a book called Tiny Worlds of the Appalachian Mountains. And it's going to be a fully illustrated book, probably with like 120 original watercolors created for the book. And my husband and I are going to be leaving in April, and we're going to be spending six months traveling up the entire Appalachian mountain range, which goes from central Alabama to Newfoundland and Canada. So a lot of people think that the Appalachian mountains just kind of stop in Maine where the Appalachian trail ends, but it actually continues up really far into um, Eastern Canada. So it's pretty cool. And we are going to be staying in Airbnbs along the way for one month in each of the different regions of the Appalachian mountains as like home base and then doing tons of hiking trips and camping trips from that home base. And The idea is that I'm gonna be trying to find, observe, take notes about and paint uh, as many little tiny creatures that I can find along the way. So that includes plants too, but everything that's about six inches and smaller to kind of highlight the biodiversity that can be found if you look super closely, even within a huge mountain range, like there's so much beyond just the mountainous views to see and be inspired by. I hope that it'll um, also encourage people who tend to think of like the Rocky Mountains as the place to be if you're a nature lover, because I think this is a super biodiverse region and a lot of people don't really see it as that. And so I hope that this book will help uh, kind of shine a light on that.
2: Do you think you could explain um, the Drexel Fellowship a little bit more like what the the goal of the fellowship is, um, why you decided to apply, and um, what your proposed project was?
1: So I found out about this fellowship called the Eccleberry Fellowship for Nature Artists a few years ago. I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but I wrote down the name of it, and I didn't feel like my work was ready then or that I had a really good project to propose in order to receive the fellowship yet, but I tucked it away, and then this year I revisited it and I thought I, that my upcoming book project would be perfect for it because I am working with a publisher and so they do pay you in advance but it's like really small I'm working with a nonprofit publisher and this project requires a lot of travel to gain you know the field photography and all of the things that are going to go into the book. I just, I need to be out and about for a long period of time to create a book that is really along the lines of what I want to make. And so this fellowship is sponsored by the Drexel Academy of Natural Sciences. And basically it's for nature artists who are creating work that's raising awareness about the environment or conservation. And they particularly like to sponsor projects that involve some sort of fieldwork, travel to observe in the field. And I think part of that vision is that you can paint from all the photos that you want, but unless you've really kind of interacted with your subjects and observed them from life, you're going to be missing a bit of that knowledge about what you're creating. And so I think it's an amazing fellowship and I'm really excited to have received it for this year. And the funds from that grant will help fund my travels for this project.
2: I was hoping to talk with you about your sort of shift into art education and environmental education also with your um, series of online painting courses and your first book, I think, right? That was a series of painting tutorials also. When and how did you become interested in art education and um, maybe also how that's connected to environmental education?
1: Yeah, it's funny because growing up as someone who was interested in art, so many people asked me what I wanted to be, and I would always say an artist. And a lot of people just assumed that I would become an art teacher because they were like, you can't really make a living painting. And that always was like, I do not want to be an art teacher. I was very quiet and did not like big groups of rowdy teenagers. That was like my worst nightmare. So I never wanted to be an art educator at all. And then in 2018, I got an artist residency at Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And I spent a month there hiking around and creating and creating some like interactive workbooks for visitors and doing some fun projects. And one of the uh, requirements was that I had to teach a workshop while I was there as part of the exchange for free lodging and that kind of thing. And I was super nervous, but I did teach a workshop and I felt like the people who came uh, walked away with a new appreciation of their surroundings. And many of the people that came to that workshop were park rangers. And I thought it was super cool that even people who were so familiar with this park were noticing new things because they were painting them. And that kind of inspired me to when I returned home host a couple other nature illustration workshops in West Virginia and Pennsylvania, and uh, it really just snowballed from there. I came up with the idea for a book uh, that would share a lot of those nature observation and painting skills with others and didn't have any connections to a publisher. So I just kind of held on to it for a while and would work on it a little bit at a time. And then uh, I decided to create some Skillshare classes on similar subject matter because there aren't any gatekeepers there. Like you could just make a class and put it online, and it seemed way more attainable than publishing a book. And so I did that. And through that whole process, people started to notice. Uh, the teaching that I was doing and a publisher contacted me to create the very book that I had already started making on my own. So it was really cool how that all worked out because it was like two years from the time I started creating that book to the time when the publisher contacted me. But I already had a big chunk of it ready to go because I really was excited about it and passionate about it. Um, And now I'm just releasing a new Skillshare class. It's on painting the natural world with gouache. And that's similar to watercolor. It's like an opaque type of watercolor that gets really bold results. And so I'm just continuing to create these online courses, teaching workshops here and there. And it's, it's just a really satisfying part of what I do because I think not only can I kind of introduce people to the intricacies that I'm observing in nature through my own work, but people can also find that for themselves. And a lot of people sending me messages saying that they view, you know, their surroundings differently after taking one of my classes or reading the book and doing some of the projects. And I think that's really cool.
2: I watched the preview to your painting in urban spaces classes. And was that in the Pittsburgh Parks?
1: Yeah. So my urban nature journaling class was all filmed in Pittsburgh and we recorded some of it in my backyard there and then filmed the rest in Shenley Park down at the Little Pond near Phipps Conservatory. And also throughout Squirrel Hill, we uh, took some footage of me like looking around really urban spaces for little glimpses of nature and like flower boxes and flower beds. And I created that class last April and most of the plants were like dormant. So it was extremely brown in Pittsburgh and there wasn't a lot to be inspired by, but the whole goal of the class was to show that like, even if you feel like you're in the most urban space, I'm sure that there are little resilient aspects of nature peeking through. And if you tune your eye in to find them, you can be inspired by them, no matter what the season is or where you are.
2: Do you change your approach at all when you're painting in different landscapes? Like if you're um, doing one of your fellowships at a national park, Um, versus when you're walking around Pittsburgh looking for inspiration? Is there um, a change or is it kind of the same observational approach when you're looking for subject matter?
1: I think that when I'm in an urban space or if I'm like walking around a local park in the middle of winter and there's not much out, it's actually like way better observational practice because you really do have to look for things that are colorful or interesting to you or make you want to get out your paints and capture it. And I think that there's such a like rewarding aspect to that. For example, a few weeks ago I was walking along the bike trail near my house in a city and I am on that bike trail all the time and it's the middle of winter and I found, British soldier lichen, which is this super cute kind of lichen that has like little red um, bubbles at the top of it. And it was growing in the middle of like a snowy patch on a fence post along this bike trail. And I like, it just made me so happy. And I think that if I had seen that in like a national forest, I would have been like, oh, that's cool. Like, I expect to see that there. But I think when I'm in places where I don't expect to be inspired by a lot of nature, I think it has double the impact um i do think that when i go to places that have a very different landscape or kind of color scheme the colors in my work change a lot for example this past uh, march or yeah march of 2021 i was in nevada at desert national wildlife refuge doing an artist residency and everything is like super blue sky uh, the earth is kind of a bright orange there are a lot of the like pink sandstone mountains everywhere and it's just like so much vibrancy which I think is really cool because my kind of expectation of being in a desert area was that it would be a bit like bland but I got there and was just blown away by the color scheme and my work from that time there is like hot pink, bright orange, bright yellow, and like way like bolder and funkier than I normally work. And that was definitely a direct reflection of how being in that colorful landscape made me feel.
2: How do you think art can be used to connect people with nature and encourage environmental stewardship?
1: I think that when you're Walking through the woods or walking down the street and there's some trees nearby or something, there's so much to take in at once that we often don't really notice what we're seeing. It's just like we're walking through life with like uh kind of blurred vision, we're not tuned in to details because there's so much and it's so beautiful, and everything is so colorful and rich and moving and stimulating and all of those things. And so I think that when people see artwork of uh, plant or animal and it's kind of like there are these boundaries and it's distilled down to just like focused in on one thing then people can have a few seconds to really just contemplate that one thing that they're looking at and it's a little less overwhelming and they can really notice details that they might not have seen on their own if they walked past that same subject. Another thing that I think that painting in terms of like you know ordinary people picking up a sketchbook and trying to draw what they see in their surroundings. I think that in order to create a painting or sketch that looks good, you have to really add in a lot of details. You can't add in something unless you observe it first, because you don't know what's there. And so I think that the painting process, by adding in all of those details, you start to think in a more like complex, detailed way. And then when you go outside the next time, you just kind of absorb more of those details as you walk past them. Even if it's not something that you plan to paint, you just are more tuned in to those
2: complexities. One final question to wrap up. I really loved your series with Dancing Gnome. I really like the goal of like highlighting watershed health and water quality. Could you talk a little bit about that partnership?
1: Sure. So when I moved back to Pittsburgh in 2020, I reached out to Dancing Gnome because I felt like it'd be a fun way to. uh, I've done a couple beer can collaborations before, but it's always been West Virginia focused. And so I thought it'd be fun to collaborate with a Pittsburgh brewery while I was living there. So I had some Dancing Gnome beer. It was really good. I was like, oh, I want to try to work with them. So I sent them an email and Asked if they had room in their upcoming year can art schedule to work with me on a label. And they said that they have been doing this series, which I actually had heard about before. And that's part of the reason I contacted them because the series was really cool. Every year they focus on a different aspect of uh, Western PA nature. So they've done a beer or they've done a bird series, a wildflower series, a tree series, and then. They just happened to be looking for someone to do the next entire year's series when I emailed them. And they asked me if I'd be willing to be their artist for 2021. And so I ended up creating 13 beer labels and they actually allowed me to pick the theme because they just said kind of like, this is what we've done the past few years. If you have any inspiration for what you wanna illustrate for a year that's related to Western PA nature, Pitch us your ideas, and so I came up with the watershed theme because I think that it's just kind of a cool way to think about all the different animals and plants that come together around this like one theme. You know, it's not just birds or something else. It's like they're all interdependent. Um, So every month I created a new illustration to go on a can, and they came up with a new kind of experimental beer to match it, and. Wow. I'm looking at my collection right now on my windowsill. Very classy. I don't know how else to display beer cans. So they're just in my bedroom, but yeah, I have 13 or 12 in a row right now. And they range from river otters to blue crayfish, painted turtle, pumpkin seed, sunfish, Kirtland snake, which is an endangered snake, uh, green heron, merganser ducks, that I actually spotted on my family's farm, which was really cool because I just took a picture of them and then I needed to create the next month's label like that week. And so I went home and just painted the ducks. Uh, an Appalachian Jewel-Winged damselfly, Beaver, Mud Puppy Salamander and Water Lily. So yeah, it ended up being a much bigger project than I anticipated, but it was so cool to see how people were like following the series and every month I, created a matching art print with that work and a portion of all the proceeds of the can and prints went to or is going to upstream Pittsburgh, which is a local conservation organization.
0: You heard Peck's Lily Jones speaking with nature illustrator and environmental educator Rosalie Hazlett. And if this conversation has piqued your appetite for beautiful images that tell a story about Pennsylvania's environment, well, we invite you to check out Lily's original watercolor paintings that are featured in a new video on the PEC website. It shows how watersheds are affected by stormwater overflows and what can be done about it, both signature concerns of the PEC Watersheds program. We'll include a link in this episode's notes along with more links so you can check out work by Rosalie Hazlett and learn more about her background and other topics we discussed on this episode. It's at peckpa.org. Look for the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. You can listen on the website or you can subscribe and download episodes on your podcatcher of choice, be that Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Player.fm, Stitcher, or uh, pretty much anything else that can handle an RSS feed for podcasting, you can find the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. We thank you for listening to this episode and invite you to join us for the next one coming up in just about two weeks' time. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, and Lily Jones. This is Josh Rollerson saying happy Earth Day and thanks for listening.